electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's mighty hard to keep your bat on your shoulders on a day like today. Market sells off, Dow sinking 222 points, SP declining 0.17%, NASDAQ actually inching up 0.18% because of a stock, yeah, just a handful of those big tech stocks. Normally, when the market throws a sale, I tell you to do some buying. Even now, I'm tempted because it looks like the Federal Reserve may finally be out of the picture thanks to the recent economic data we've been getting. I think it's cool enough that they might not need to hit us with any more rate hikes anytime soon. But I can't endorse buying into weakness here because of the debt ceiling fight. Based on the last debt ceiling crisis, this market could have a lot more downside before we get a deal. And that's assuming we get a deal at all. Maybe the government ends up defaulting on its obligations. That's very much on the table, despite protestations from both sides of the aisle that it'll never happen. Right now, with the economy slowing and tax receipts coming up short, we might bump up against the limit by the end of the month. On the one side, you have President Biden, who's been unwilling to negotiate in any substantive form. On the other side, you have Speaker McCarthy, who's giving the appearance of being willing to negotiate, but his suggestions have very little chance of leading to any meaningful compromise. In the end, I think the White House will have to blink because the two sides, frankly, aren't evenly matched. President Biden's running for re-election next year. He can't afford to let a default happen or even a recession sparked by fears of default because presidents don't get re-elected when the economy sours. But Speaker McCarthy, well, he doesn't publicly said he doesn't want a default. He's not going to lose his job if he lets it happen. If anything, his caucus might actually reward him for it. At the very least, he'll have an easier time with the hard right portion of his party that's given him so much trouble. We don't really know what will happen, but as a stock guy, not a politics guy, I, I just want to compromise. I don't care what's in it as long as the government can keep paying its bills and you can make money owning stocks. Fortunately, as I've been mentioned before, we have a clear analog, and that's the debt ceiling crisis of 2011 when we almost defaulted. So assuming we follow a similar trajectory of what groups did best and what groups did worse during the months-long torture, it was a whole month and a half, basically, of the first debt ceiling crisis that caused a 90% decline from peak to trough. What worked back then? Well, perhaps that can work now. First, as you might have guessed, we can buy the stocks of literally any drug company because even though Medicare bills could be on the line, Wall Street's a lot more worried that a government default will trigger a recession. Not a bunch of unpaid bills to say Merck, which was one of the standout performers in the last crisis. Yep, the pharmaceutical stocks were the first to bottom in 2011, and that was after the sovereign debt downgrade by the Standard & Poor's. That was an insult to the injury of the debt deal, something which was every bit as savage as the actual negotiations. Who fits the bill this time around? 
Well, at this moment, it's Eli Lilly, which is on the cusp of the largest drug launch in ages. I'm talking about Munjaro, which is Lilly's revolutionary diabetes drug that doubles as a weight loss treatment. We've got a huge obesity problem here in America, so you can assume the sales will be off the charts. That's why Lilly's such a large position for my charitable trust, as investing club members have known for ages. On top of everything else, the same drugs being studied for cholesterol, blood pressure, and heavy drinking. None of which are in those numbers. Nor is the potential of Lilly's Alzheimer drug candidate, which when you've got two possible home runs, the debt ceiling debacle can't derail your story. Second to bottom in 2011 were the consumer product stocks. Now, here I'd be thinking of Procter & Gamble, which held very well during the decline of 2011. Or how about Canview? That's that recently spun off consumer health business from J&J. More on that one later. Coca-Cola stays strong, but this time around, the star of the show is PepsiCo, because snacking has become far more ingrained in our lifestyle than it was in 2011. PepsiCo, like Lily, is a fabulous performer. Bye, bye, bye! If you want food, then you want Mondelez or Hershey. Two amazing performers. Mondelez is crushing with cookies, but nothing's working as well as candy maker Hershey. All these stocks share one major characteristic beyond consistent demand, and that's a decline in costs, resulting from the end of supply chain problems from COVID and lower commodity prices, and yes, cheaper transport. Now, what I'd also consider Colgate as a possibility. It's a sleeping giant that awoke that last quarter. It seems poised for a nice run. One of these should definitely be on your shopping list. I'm trying to figure out which one might be best for the travel trust when we convene for our club meeting next week. I'm not sure which one to pick yet. Stay tuned. Next to bottom in 2011 was fast food, as McDonald's was a total store, uh, just a star back then. Hey, that was perhaps because Wall Street assumed people would trade down in Mickey D's. The Golden Arches pretty much had the feel to itself back then. Still worth considering, along with Yum Brands, Restaurant Brands, and Chipotle. I like what I heard from Wendy's yesterday, too. I hope you did. Finally, mission-critical tech work back then, tech that facilitated the Internet's growth. Hey, I guess some things don't change. This time, it's worth looking at the ones that can help you mine big data for your own advantage. That's right. Artificial intelligence can make a company do far more with less, less people, less money. You need a consultant to do it, though. And right now, those consultants are Microsoft and Alphabet. Now, NVIDIA and Meta platforms are benefiting, too. Each does a different thing. You need NVIDIA cards to run such complicated software. Alphabet and Microsoft are integrating AI into the rest of their commercial products. Meta's using AI to get around Apple's privacy restrictions and once again deliver targeted ads to you. Boy, the advertisers love that. Over the coming weeks and months, I'll explain how they use artificial intelligence to help their clients. What matters is that you need one of their icons, one of these icons of AI in your portfolio. Please wait for the market-wide pullback from the debt ceiling fiasco before you pull the trigger. Considering that the president just pushed back a key debt ceiling meeting to next week, I'm going to expect you're going to get a bearish opportunity to do some buying. Everything else didn't make the cut or took too long to bounce back in 2011. That's because both the consumer and enterprise conserve cash, spending less for fear that they need it. You husband your cash when you think there'll be a recession, right? And that's what people thought in 2011 until the all-clear standard. During that period, you did nothing but lose money in all, every day in almost every other category. So the bottom line, be careful and use the parameters I've laid out. That way, even if we get a default that triggers a recession or Wall Street believes that we're going to get one. Your portfolio can still come out relatively whole. No sense in leading you astray, though. The debt debacle and the downgrade of the U.S. debt by a ratings agency did a ton of damage to stocks. We're only trying to pick which ones went down the least because everything performed poorly. Let's go to Emil in New York. Emil. 
Hi, Jim. Hope you're doing well. I am. I hope you are the same. Good. Thank you. Long-time listener, second-time caller, and a club member. Oh, thank you for joining the club. a stock in retail, cosmetic, and beauty sector. I brought this stock a couple of years ago. You've spoken about it highly over the past several years. It reported about three months ago a very nice quarter, and the price action was very nice on the stock. I added some more to my holdings because I thought it would be a good stock to have in a possible recessionary environment. And then for the past month, the stock has been going uh, down uh, pretty rapidly, about 10%, okay. although it had a nice bounce today because of an upgrade uh, from an analyst. Uh, some of the cosmetic companies, Cody and Elf, has been doing very well. The stock I'm talking about is Ulta. There's not oh, much well, in the Ulta's news. Oh, Ulta's easy for me. I've been recommending Ulta. If you recall, when Mary Dolan took over many years ago, I started recommending it. And then Dave Kimball came in. They are doing a terrific job. By the way, I recommend people going. If you don't want to go to Ulta Beauty, and I do love their stores, go to a Target. You, you, you can see a lot of great products there. You see what Ulta Beauty's doing. They are really making it so that a lot of cosmetics that used to be very expensive are inexpensive. Let's go to Mike in Illinois. Mike. Jimmy Chill. Hey, nice Mike, to talk to you. Long time, first time. Thank you. What's going on? Hey, I'd like to give a big booyah to my son, Hunter, out there. My question to you is about Devon Energy. I bought in when we talked about this about two years ago. I rode the train all the way up to 75, cashed out some profit, been holding the rest. Just wondering, should I buy, hold? No, I don't want you to buy more. I mean, Rick Monkey was on the show. He did a terrific job. And Devin is a good company. We made a lot of money for it uh, for the club. However, the oil stocks are right now in retreat. They did not do well in the period that was like this in 2011 with the debt ceiling. Let's wait till we get past the debt ceiling issue and then revisit the oils. Let's go to Kyle in Illinois, please. Kyle. Hey, Jim. Uh, Kyle from Chicago. How are you? I'm doing fine, Kyle. Thanks for calling. What's going on? Well, I'm in Chicago, but you know what? I spent 20 years in Columbus, Ohio, and there's a little bank there called H, what we call HBAM, and it's still my bank today. And you go north, and it's Key Corp. And you go south, and it's Fifth Third Bank. From the Great Lakes to the Ohio region, I bought all three yesterday. And then I woke up today, and they're all down because of a little bank in Beverly Hills, California. Am I early on buying all these three Midwest banks? Uh, I've been thinking of HBAN's place, Huntington Banks. They've been on the show. Mr. Steinar is terrific. Uh, I don't recommend any of the regional banks until we get through this crisis. The reason I don't is because we keep getting hit by things like, for instance, the FDIC is proposing much larger fees. So now we say, oh, geez, we've got to cut numbers on these. I mean, we're in a, a world of, of this group, and I like to stay out of that address. But thank you for the call. Look, the debt ceiling is a real overhang right now. So tread lightly and stick with the winners that could lead the market higher once we get a resolution. We're mad tonight. As I mentioned, the debt ceiling crisis does have the market on edge. But what are the technical signaling? I'm going off the charts to find out. Then the turbulent economy put the IPO market on pause. But it got a shot in the arm last week with Johnson Johnson's spin-off of Kenview coming public. I'll tell you if it's worth considering. I know many of you are thinking about it. And earlier this week, I told you travel and leisure was one of the sectors showing signs of strength amid the uncertainty. So could boating fit into the investing thesis? I'm getting a read on the space with the CEO of Brunswick. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or 
Give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week, Johnson Johnson finally spun off its consumer health businesses, a company called Kenview, in an enormous $3.8 billion IPO, and this deal was a stunning success. The stock price of 22 opened for trading last Thursday at 25 and change before settling in around 26 this week. I can't overstate the significance of this IPO. First, Kenview was far and away the largest deal of the year. In fact, it's the largest deal since Rivian came public in November of 2021, right before the IPO market started to freeze over. Ever since that freeze, we haven't seen many sizable deals. So the fact that this one went off without a hitch, it means something. Second, and this is the more important point from my perspective, the Kenview deal has been a huge success for J&J shareholders, including my chapel trust. They spun off the consumer division in order to unlock value so the remaining company could focus on its faster-growing pharma and medical device business. Kenview throws off a ton of cash, but its growth is a lot slower. J&J still owns roughly 90% of its former subsidiary, although the plan is to distribute these shares to its own shareholders who don't know exactly the nitty-gritty of how that plan is going to work. But in other words, when Kenview's stock goes up, J&J stock should go up too, although that hasn't really happened since the IPO. But what do we do with Kenview itself? Given that we own J&J for the Travel Trust, we're eventually going to have to answer that question. So is it worth holding? Could it be a buy? Let's walk through it. 
Kennedy is now the world's largest pure play consumer health company, a house of iconic brands that needs no introduction. Tylenol, Neutrogena, Listerine, Johnson's, Band-Aid, Zyrtec, Nicorette, Motrin, many others. You probably have at least four or five of these in your your bathroom. It's a global player with some of the most recognizable brands on the planet. It gets half of its sales from outside the U.S. How about the numbers? Last year, Kenview did okay. Their sales declined slightly due to the strong dollar, although organic growth was much better, up 3.8%. Earnings were also down 4.5% last year thanks to higher costs. That said, the largest business, the self-care division, had 10.9% organic growth. Hey, that's pretty impressive, especially and everything else was more or less flat. However, we got some preliminary numbers for the first quarter in the IPO prospectus, and those look much better. Organic growth for the whole company came in at 11.2%, driven by double-digit organic growth in the self-care and beauty divisions, and their earnings should be flat to up 6%, also much better than last year. Unlike some other recent spin-offs, Kenview's debt load is manageable. J&J is not foisting them with stuff they can't handle. Uh, in fact, the company's financial position is strong enough that management plans to pay a $0.20 cent per share quarterly dividend starting in the fourth quarter. Hey, that works out to be a 3.1% yield at these levels. I like that. A little protection. Most important, Kenview is a classic defensive stock. That is, it, that's exactly what you want to go in when you go into a serious slowdown or, of course, into some debt ceiling negotiation that's not working. At the same time, don't forget that the whole consumer packaged goods industry is poised to make a killing right now because they've raised their prices aggressively and now their raw costs. And here, thinking like packaging, raw materials, and transport are finally coming down which will lead to much higher margins because you're not going to cut the price to you. My biggest concern here is that we've seen a number of these big pharma spinoffs in recent years, and frankly, they haven't done very well. Pfizer spun off its generic drug business as Viatris. Merck offloaded its women's health, uh, health biosimilars and legacy drugs as something called Organon. Last year, GlaxoSmithKline uh, split its consumer division and merged it with Pfizer's consumer business to create Halion. That's the closest comparison here. Now, I've talked about this one before. Most of these big pharma spinoffs had bad stocks because they're bad companies with unattractive assets and declining earnings. That's especially true for Viatris and Organon because the generic drug business just doesn't have a lot going for it. Never. I've never recommended those stocks, even when I was at Goldman in the 80s. I never recommend the generics. I punted on Hallium because while the numbers look good, I was worried about the possible exposure to the Zantac lawsuits. I was probably too conservative there. It's been seven months since we last discussed these big pharma spinoffs, Viatris and Organon, and they've been dogs down 3% and 12% respectively. During a period, the S&P 500 has rallied more than 11%. Organon just had a brutal gap down after reported yet another dispiriting quarter last week. I've really disliked that stock. But Halion, the one that's most similar to Kenview, has shot up more than 40% over the same period. It's no longer being treated like the other big pharma spinoffs. And if Wall Street likes Halion, well, then it should love Kenview, which is a much better business. What do I mean by better? Well, first, I think Kenview's got superior brands. Halion's got Advil, Panadol, Tums, Theraflu, Centrum, and Sensodyne, which is pretty good, but I don't think it comes close to Kenview's portfolio, which has the number one brand globally in seven different categories. Kenview also had faster organic growth in the first quarter, and once they started paying that 20-cent dividend, well, it's going to have a much higher yield, too. I'm liking this one. Going into the Kenview IPO, I was a tad nervous about how the market might treat it. I mean, given that Wall Street, uh, well, it took a while to warm up to Halion last year, and the other big pharma spinoffs have just been just dreadful. But I think Halion is the only meaningful comparison. Halion's now on fire. 
Given that Kenview is like a better version of Halion, it should fit right into with this mar- uh, into the stock market's profile. Plus, again, this is a great moment for the consumer packaged goods space. That's why I think that Kenview is a buy, buy, buy. But and this is a pretty big but. You definitely don't need to buy it immediately. I expect some choppy action in this one because J&J owns 90% of Kenview. And when they pass that stock on to their shareholders, many of them will decide to sell. That, that could give you an excellent buying opportunity. So I recommend for many people here that you wait for that moment. Here's the bottom line. Given the defensive nature of Kenview's business and the robust dividend that's on the way, I think this one's absolutely worth buying into weakness. But that weakness is probably coming once J&J hands out a ton of shares to its own shareholder base, which is why you need to be patient. Unless, of course, the stock gets taken down by a market-wide sell-off, maybe in response to the debt ceiling crisis, and then you get your chance. Coming up, is time on your side? Kramer goes off the charts to find the proper moments to make your move. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. I keep telling you this market's going to be very tough until we get some kind of resolution to this debt ceiling crisis. Ideally, one that doesn't kick us into a constitutional crisis like America's some kind of like banana republic or something. The only good thing about this crisis is that history is repeating itself. And we know exactly what happened last time. We got a hideous 19% decline from peak to trough in a very short period of time. We've been studying that nightly now. Shortly after President Obama and the Republican congressional leadership did cut a deal, we put in a bottom and a fabulous bull market began. Ultimately, I think we'll get a deal this time, too, if only because the president, no president, no president at all wants the government to run out of money less than a year and a half before the next election. That's why Obama agreed to those painful spending cuts last time. But it's going to be an agonizing experience, possibly much worse than 2011, because both parties seem a lot more hostile this time around. And there's a slim chance our leaders completely blow it entirely and let a default happen purely out of partisan animosity. And that is a recipe for a certain recession. My point, though, is that the market really wants to see a deal. So the longer this drags on, the worse it's going to get for stocks. In other words, we're likely to feel some real pain over the next few weeks. That's how I'm positioning myself, and I'm trying to get you to be positioned the same way. Don't take it from me, though. Tonight, we're going off the charts with someone who agrees with me. We're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Broden. She is a brilliant technician who's teaching at IM Academy SFX. That's the Stocks and Futures Academy. You can also find her on Twitter at Queen of Fibs because she can give us the empirical read on the market that we need. And she doesn't like what she's seeing here, kind of like me. In her view, this is a market where time is not on your side for the moment, at least not if you're bull. It's not going to come running back to you. And no, that's not a Rolling Stones reference. It's an Irma Thomas reference. The Stones version is good, but it's a cover. Back on point. What's making Broden feel cautious about this market? Okay, take a look at the daily chart of the S&P 500. Long term, Broden remains bullish in the S&P, and she still thinks it's ultimately headed higher. I agree with that. 
Emphasis on ultimately, though. Short term, though, she thinks you need to pull in your horns precisely because of timing. It's why we've raised so much cash for my charitable trust. Remember, Broden likes to measure past swings in a stock, then run them through the prism of Fibonacci numbers. These ratios that repeat over and over again in nature, you can see them in the arrangements of, of snail shells and flower petals, pine cones, or, or for some bizarre reason, the stock market, too. We don't know why it happens, but key Fibonacci levels often turn out to be pivotal areas where a stock changes its trajectory. If it was going up, it might start going down. Broden uses this methodology on both the y-axis, price, okay, and the x-axis, which is time. She'll measure the duration of a previous swing and run it through the Fibonacci machine to identify key dates where a stock or an index is most likely to reverse course. Unfortunately, right now, she spotted a series of Fibonacci time clusters that are currently coming due. There are five of these uh, time cycles that come due between uh, yesterday and tomorrow, then eight more that come due next Tuesday through Friday. That's a real thicket we got to go through. Why is this a problem? Because when you get a cluster of time cycles like these, there's a high chance the market will reverse whatever it was doing going into these days. And when we went into the current timing cluster, the S&P 500 had been rallying pretty, pretty nicely. That's why Broden says the best thing to do is to protect some of your profits on your long positions. I agree with her which is why I've been telling you to raise some cash, even though I don't recommend selling everything because you likely won't be fast enough to get back in at lower levels once the market bottoms, and it will bottom. Of course, these timing cycles won't always cause a reversal. They just make it more likely. But looking at the negative action today, she's clearly right to be cautious. That said, these are all short-term worries. Longer-term, Broden sees the S&P headed back up to 4,300. And if we get a major pullback during one of these timing windows, she thinks you might want to buy something opportunistically. That's why I've been referring to a bunch of stocks that when they go down, you might want to snap them up. But if she's right... It's going to get worse before it gets better. And Broden's got similar concerns about the NASDAQ 100, the tech-heavy index made of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite, many of which have been doing quite well because of, yes, indeed, AI. Check out the daily chart. The NASDAQ 100 has seven Fibonacci timing cycles coming due between yesterday and tomorrow. And it was also running into this period, so a reversal would be real bad news. Broden also sees four more timing cycles coming due from next Wednesday through next Friday. Just like the S&P, she thinks you need to brace yourself for a short-term sell-off because of all these timing cycles coming due. Long-term, though, again, she believes the NASDAQ 100 is headed higher, possibly to 13613, which would be really terrific, right? And that's, she says, is in the not-too-distant future. Maybe we're going to get that settlement for the debt ceiling. But for the short-term, she recommends taking something off the table to protect your profits. Just wait for a pullback if you want to buy more. If you want to hear about something more encouraging. Broden very much likes not a stocks market and not a big index. She likes an individual stock. She likes the stock of Netflix. The key daily moving averages are all bullish. This is, by the way, a very good setup to show you what would look good as opposed to what we just saw. Stock trading above both the 200-day moving average, okay, and the 50-day moving average. I know she absolutely loves that when you get that. And the green, okay. More important, Broden's always watching the five-day exponential uh, and the 13-day exponential. These are moving averages, and this is her favorite buying trigger. When, when you see the five-day above the 13-day, she always will tell you it's time to buy. And if you can see that, you can see that the five is above. And that's right where Netflix is now. At the same time, the stock's got a Fibonacci price cluster running from 313 to 316. So we've got it right here, Okay. Uh, and a floor of support down here, about 30 bucks below. I'll take that from any, from any day. Based on Fibonacci method, 
Broden could see Netflix climb to 359 before coming to any resistance. That's the first level. And then if it goes through that, it can go to 370, followed by, get this, 405, and then, yes, indeed, 437. Of course, if Netflix breaks down below 313, you know how traders work. She says that means the trade's broken and you need to throw in the towel. But she'd be a buyer on any pullback that holds above that level. So, bail, soar. Bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden are short-term cautious in the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq 100. There's a good chance we'll get serious pullbacks here over the next week and a half, even as she's long-term bullish. But if you want something to own, remember I told you at the top of the show, if you want something to buy, Netflix is her buy, especially on a little weakness. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Fritz in Illinois. Fritz. Jim, thanks for having me back on. Oh, Fritz, I'm glad you called. What's going on? I wanted to ask about uh, GM. So I know they're really focused on going all EV over the next 10 years or so, and their CEO even thinks they can catch up to Tesla by 2025, which seems pretty ambitious when you look how far behind they are at Tesla right now. I'm curious to know what you think. Do you think they can catch well, up the to st- them? You know, the, stock is saying that the, the stock is saying that the estimates are not going to be made, that business is going to turn down. I'm not as dire. We had um, Kyle Vogt on yesterday for, for, who does their autonomous driving program. I think that's very good. That said, I can't be encouraging about this stock because it only yields 1%, which is why my Chapel Trust owns Ford, which has a similar chart but does give you a 4% yield, which makes me feel a lot better. Let's go to Jared in Colorado. Jared. What's happening, Jim? It's our third Adam. time talking stocks, man. Oh, I, I love talking stocks. Any day of the week. That's What's it. going on? Okay, I got a two-part question for you. Um, my first one's on IBM. What are your thoughts on that? Is that a good company to buy, or is it priced too high? And okay. most importantly, my most uh, important question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, look, here's the problem. Jared, this is really important. IBM is a company that does not have the revenue growth that I like to see out of tech, okay? It has an earnings per share that's being made, but I like to see growth and I like to see profitable growth, and I'm not getting that out of IBM, and you can see what the market's doing. It is taking that stock apart because it's not giving you the profitable growth that people want. How about Lou in Pennsylvania? Lou. Yes, Jim. Thank you for everything that you do. Ah, Lou, you're quite welcome. I know you like Easton. Go Birds! Go Birds is absolute. Go Birds! What's going on? (laughs) I want to know whether I should buy Zillow and whether I'd be happy about that. I think you miss Zillow. I think Zillow's up a great deal because housing's up. People decided, you know what, if housing's up, then we ought to be people going to be looking for homes. That means they're going to look at Zillow to get prices. That trade's happened. I don't feel there's anything new to that trade. I think it's over. I don't want to buy Zillow up here. It's had a nice move, though. The chartist is cautious about the S&B and Nasdaq short term and thinks you should protect some profits. But she's liking Netflix right now if you need an individual stock pick. Much more man money at my hunt for stocks showing signs of strength continues with some surprising finds. I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Brunswick to find out if boating could fit into your investing pieces. And speaking of stocks showing strength of uh, size of strength, the AI arms race continues to heat up. But what are the economic implications? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
A lot of stocks that you'd expect to be doing terribly at this point in the business cycle have actually been holding up surprisingly well. Take Brunswick Corp, the maker of boats and engines under some major brands like Boston Whaler. Brunswick doesn't feel like it should be working here, right? I mean, who the heck buys a boat after the Fed's hit us with 500 basis points of rate hikes in barely more than a year? But when Brunswick reported late last month, they posted a small revenue beat and a sizable earnings beat. Even though their forecast for the current quarter was a little light, the stock still rallied more than 2% in response and is still up more than 7% year-to-date, despite the carnage the last couple of days. So how the heck can this maker of one of the most discretionary products on Earth be doing fine right now? On Tuesday night, we got a chance to speak with David Folks. He's the CEO of Brunswick Corp. But our interview was preempted by President Biden's remarks on the debt ceiling. So now take a look. Mr. Fawcett, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me again, Jim. Really appreciate it. Okay, so David, what we're trying to figure out on Mad Money, we've done a series of, of pieces on this, is how can things that are traditionally trading down or not doing as well after the Fed has hiked so many basis points still reporting great numbers? So can you tell us why, in your words, this, uh, these Fed rate hikes have not dented any of the interest in your great boats? Well, I think... Um, Boats and consumers uh, want to be part of the lifestyle, uh, Jim. You know, I think it's a very attractive lifestyle at any point in time. And people will uh, you know, find ways to participate. And as you know, we have a tremendous portfolio of boat brands that allow them to participate in the value end of the market or the premium end of the market. And we've even got alternatives to ownership like Freedom Boat Club, uh, where they can participate on a subscription basis. <clears throat> so I think... Um, our portfolio really helps in those circumstances. What I would say is that um, we have seen more strength, I guess, and more resilience in the more premium parts of the marketplace, uh, brands you'd be familiar with, like Boston Whaler and Sire, and a bit more pressure on some of the uh, value segments. Okay, so let's go over what uh, uh, the value segments to be sure that we're all okay. When you say pressure, I mean, you did say that uh, sales would be flat, uh, flat up slightly versus uh, Q2, but you are concerned that this particular quarter may be a tougher one. Are you seeing things still come together? Yeah, I think generally we are really, you know, this, um, so we'll sequentially expect to improve uh, earnings per share. But um, the comps really get better for us in the back half of the year. This is the more difficult comps. You remember early last year, obviously, Interest rates uh, earlier in the year were much lower. Right. Uh, inflation wasn't such a big factor. As we got later in the year, inflation was higher. Interest rates were higher. Um, so the, the comps get better in the back half of the year for us. So we're still expecting a strong year. And as, as you know, the center point of our guidance is still up versus uh, last year. Right. And now you're a historian of the situation. Uh, isn't it highly unusual at this point in the interest rate cycle to have still uh, be projecting up numbers and be pretty confident that you're going to hit both the sales and the earnings numbers? Yeah, I think, you know, part of our story, Jim, and you know it well, is some of the secular trends, some of the, the levers that we can really pull versus the market. So we have invested heavily in our uh, engine product line, our Mercury Marine product line, bringing out a lot of really advanced high horsepower uh, engine product, our new V10 and V12 engines, nothing like them in the marketplace. And demand is incredibly strong for those products. Uh, we have um, invested in the parts of our boat product line that are really working well for us. For example, opening a second whole plant for our Boston Whaler uh, brand, which is very strong in the premium segment. And then also investing in things like Freedom Boat Club, as I remembered 
as I as I mentioned, we will have you know close to four hundred clubs open uh, pretty soon. So a lot of things that are under our control that are not really subject to the market. Uh, which can drive growth in our business. All right. Talk to me about electric, because you know that I was interested in that and have been talking about that for a decade. Mm -hmm. How is that doing? It's doing well. You know, we're just entering that marketplace, but we have an extremely strong and exciting product line from Mercury Marine called Avatar. Uh, We've just begun shipping those uh, products. We've made probably about a thousand right now. And the reception in the marketplace is really strong. Uh, we've shipped them into the US, we shipped them into Europe, which we expect to be a very strong market. We've shipped them into Australia, uh, New Zealand. So it's a global product and the excitement is very high and we're very, um, uh, we're expecting great things from that product line. We still expect it to be mainly in the lower horsepower segments that electrification really takes off versus the high horsepower where we've got those big new products like the V10 and the V12. And then uh, at this point, I would have thought that it would have been the engine parts and accessories that have been making all the money for you. Now, they're good, but not as strong as new boats, huh? Yeah, you know, it really depends on the horizon you look over, Jim. um, Engine parts and accessories in our Navico group were down a bit more than 10% versus a very strong comp in Q1 of last year. But if you look over a longer horizon, if you look versus 2019 pre-COVID, both of those businesses are up more than 30%. Wow. So we're seeing uh, some you know, overlap of various dynamics. I think I saw a segment that you did, uh, Jim, just a couple of months ago on uh, retailer stocking trends and de-stocking right. trends. And obviously, we're seeing some of those dynamics where our retail partners built up a lot of inventory uh, during the supply chain crisis when they didn't know when the next shipment was right. necessarily going to arrive. And now they're going through a destocking process, and hopefully we'll be through that by the time we get into the full uh, selling season. So there are some of those dynamics going on. Another contributor for us is we do have some um, uh, components and systems that we sell into the recreational vehicle market. Right. And that from Navico. Um, market has been, yeah, uh, that's right, from Navico and, and some of the rest of our businesses. And that market in particular has essentially been on a manufacturing slowdown for the first quarter and is just ramping back up again. So a couple, I think, of short-term factors, but the long-term remains very strong. It certainly is the case, or else we wouldn't be seeing those kinds of trends. David Folks, the CEO of Brunswick, again, we're examining situations that normally would have not been doing well in this rate cycle that are doing quite well. May have money's back after the break. Thank you, David. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Curse of my episode with Nikki in Ohio. Nikki. Hey, Nick. This, this is Nick from Ohio. I would like to see on holding Amazon for the long term. The Amazon for the long term is very good. Now, here's the problem with the Amazon for the short term. I don't like what I've seen so far for them for artificial intelligence. But I think they'll make a case and then we'll feel a lot better about it. Let's go to to Rick in California. Rick. Hey, Kim. How you doing, Professor? I'm doing well. What's up? Hey, listen. I'm a longtime fan. Over 10 years since I've uh, I've retired. I've watched you almost every day. Um, I was watching last week and you had the uh, CEO of a company called ResMed who makes... um, Keypad machines, which actually I have. Pardon? He's a smart fellow, Mick. I like him. 
Yep. And so anyway, so I have sleep apnea, um, and I, so I've had it for about a year, and I do use a, a, a CPAP machine from ResMed. However, a good friend of mine who had uh, sleep apnea for more than seven years had a, a minor operation from a company called Inspire. Um, and it's I-N- INSP is the uh, symbol. Do neurostimulation, and frankly, that's, it's not an easy operation. They're a very speculative situation. I'm not against specs when it comes to medical devices because we need them. So I think it's interesting, but it is at a high. Let's go to Lester in Iowa. Lester. Good evening, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Lester. What's um, up? I've had out-of-tail uh, power for about 40 years. I started with 300 shares, and I've got over 12,000 now from reinvesting. My question is, what do you think of Ottertail? I think it's an excellent growth utility. I'm glad you brought it up. I haven't, I haven't featured it, and I, you know I like utilities. I feel like I'm one of the few people on the, on the network that actually talks about them, and Ottertail is a very good one, and congratulations for doing the right thing and reinvesting. That's fabulous. Let's go to Richard in Arizona. Richard. Richard. Booyah, Jim. First-time caller. Okay. Um, beautiful Paradise Valley, Arizona. I'm calling about Icon Enterprises after that Hindenburg well, report in the state. That's what I call a hot one. Too hot for this guy. We got a conceivable Justice Department inquiry. We've got a short seller coming in saying bad things about it. Against that, we've got a longtime good investor. It is too hard. It is what I call a battleground, and battlegrounds are not for me. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Hey, Jim. Long time listener here. First time caller. Big All right. What's happening? By the way. I work with a local cannabis company down here called Netplant Depot, and they wanted to know where you think the cannabis space is heading since like, companies like Jazz Pharmaceuticals and Tilray seem to keep downtrending, and the government doesn't seem to be making much progress with federal the government, legal things. Look, the, the, the government is – look, remember what's happening. It's the, it's the government's basically many different governments. And it's local and it's state and it's federal. And I've been staying away from these kinds of stocks because I do not believe that the government's got its act together to be able to make it so that we can get them uh, nationwide. Let's go to, if I did, I would tell you the to Constellation Brands would be the one, STZ, which is the club boats. Let's go to uh, Ahmed in Michigan. Ahmed. Hey, Professor Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate it. Um, my question is on a stock. I'm in the House of Pain, Generac. What's your thoughts on that? Pain. You know, Generac is one that I recommended for a very long time, but they have not been making their quarters. It's been a very downbeat stock. And I've got to tell you, like, we could throw in end-phase energy at the same point. These are not the stocks stone right now in the cycle, and with oil going down, it makes it even worse. Let's go to Shane in California. Shane. Hey, Jim, big fan. Love your show. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Shane. What's going on? Hey, so I know years ago I asked you about this and you were not very high on the stock, but I'm wondering if it's time to start looking at energy transfer. I changed my mind, and the reason I changed my mind is that Kelsey Warren had been buying and buying and buying, loading up the place with debt. It's no longer the case. It's got a good yield, and I'm going to say you're still fine in ET. That's been my view on it the last couple of years, and I'm going to stick by it. Let's go to Michael Maryland. Michael. Jim Booyah. Booyah. Wow, spirited Booyah. What's happening? Hey, that's a dual train intro. I'm calling on Origin Materials. Just reporting. Oh, this stock first. is so controversial. I said something positive about the I had a few weeks ago, and I got hit from both sides saying, listen, you don't know these guys, whatever. And I do, and I've looked at it, and it is too speculative for this guy. We're not done. Let's go to Francine in my home state of New Jersey. Francine. How are you, uh, Jim? I am good. How about you, Francine? Long-time listener. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay. 
Wrong time, first time. Okay, Casey, bought it a lot higher. What are your near terms? This is a payment situation. Any payments company, I have stopped recommending, whether it be, uh, we could be talking about Block, we, we, we could be talking about PayPal. The reason I have is because Apple, own it, don't trade it. I think that they're going to be the only wallet we need. Hey, what's the whole food sales? I forgot my wallet. Put the uh, chicken. Just waved it. Next thing I know, I paid for it. Didn't even realize. Hey, we're not done yet. Arthur in California. Arthur. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Good. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for educating and entertaining at the same time. You're very kind. Um, I am a first-time caller. Uh, Jim, my question is about a company uh, that my kids have made rich, but as a shareholder, I'm now a bag holder. What do you think about Roblox? I think David Bazooki is a very good executive and a terrific guy, and the stock did have a, the company did have a good quarter, but that may be an opportunity to be able to sell, sell, sell. Because yeah, I think it's a very competitive space. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. these artificial intelligence stocks just rally almost every single day with some rare exceptions a little bit today i'll give you the answer in one word fear i'm not talking about the fear of missing out on a hot stock although there certainly is some fomo going on i'm talking about another kind of fear it's obvious that many companies are now wrapping themselves in the ai flag in order to catch your attention i can't tell you how many conference call transcripts i've read where executives claim they've been heavy users of generative ai as if they were there at the inception hanging out with nvidia's jensen wong and open ai's sam Altman, as they figured out the hardware and software needed to make it happen a half dozen years ago But let me tell you what's really going on in corporate America at this moment. The bosses are fearful they'll lose their jobs if they don't embrace AI to make their companies more efficient. It can be as simple as calling up an outfit, say, like the Trade Desk, the incredibly well-run digital advertising platform, and saying, could you please use your AI capabilities to sit through the 13 million bits of data you get every second? They tell us what could work to sell our goods. Maybe what color ad or snappy copy will attract the most attention of the people we're trying to reach. Or looking at your workplace and thinking who you can eliminate or switch to a different position because of AI. The way that Todd Pettigrew, the CEO of Wendy's, is trying to do with the drive-through position. A machine that can listen and respond to 27 languages without making a mistake is a heck of a lot more efficient than a human. Of course, nobody wants to say it's about firing people and replacing them with machines, at least not explicitly. They talk about using AI to make people more productive. You know what happens when you make your workers more productive? You need fewer workers. That's especially true right now, given that we've got severe labor shortages. Now, consider what we heard from Wendy's yesterday. Todd Pentagor didn't say, we bought a bunch of NVIDIA cars and fired up the artificial intelligence machine and came up with something really cool that we'll plug in and, and, and to each store like, like it's a fryer or a stove. No, what Wendy's did was call Google and say, please help us. We are good at Baconators that Jim's wife Lisa likes so much. <laughs> But AI implementation is beyond our core competency. I envision a world where clueless companies will call on either Google, which showed off some pretty amazing AI tools just now, which also has an, or Microsoft, which has an incredible suite of products, including its Copilot platform, which turns natural language prompts into coding suggestions. 
That's how businesses will ensure they don't get left behind. Right now, we are in the grips of AI fever. Ever since we started creating haikus with chat GPT late last year when it all burst into the fore. But let's just remember that Jensen Wong, the CEO of NVIDIA, has been telling us for years now that this moment was coming. And it's still their tech that makes it all work. But NVIDIA doesn't make house calls. Google and Microsoft do. Same goes for Oracle and even Salesforce. In the end, if you're running a company and you don't call someone about AI, you're going to be considered a toto, meaning you're someone who will be willing to turn off the oxygen. And you don't want to be the one who totoed your own business. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.